Welcome to the sermon podcast of Grace Presbyterian Church. For more information about our church, please visit our website, gracechurchlaunceston.com. Is there a way this week, perhaps, uh, perhaps there's a day this week, perhaps there's a moment this week that you ran from God? Maybe you didn't quite realise it at the time, maybe you did. And it was quite probably not literally running, uh, or even particularly moving away from a situation. But is there a time when you thought that your plan was better than God's plan? Was there a time when you thought your way was better than God's way? Was there a moment where you acted as if, as if God wasn't there? And is there a place in your life right now that you're running from God? Is there a place in your life right now where you're on the run? Let's, ha- let's have a look at this text together, Jonah chapter 1, because today we find that the God of grace pursues us and he has more ways to get at us than we have from running from him. So a little bit of a background to the book of Jonah. Um, who loves Jonah here? Has anyone read Jonah before? Yeah, yeah. Does, anyone, does everyone love Jonah who's read Jonah? Yeah, good. Uh, I think this is a brilliant, brilliant book. Uh, the book isn't really about a big fish. There is a big fish, but it's not really about the fish. The theme of Jonah is God's mission and the conversion of the nations to faith in God. This story is uh, about God's salvation coming to non-Israelite, non-Jewish idol worshippers. And if you're ever tempted to think that God doesn't have a sense of humour, I think you need to read Jonah again. This is a very funny book, dark humour even. Um, Jonah is just dripping with satire uh, and the humour is often at the expense of the rather rather miserable anti-hero Jonah who behaves in the ways that aren't really fitting for a prophet. Uh, This book is set in the 8th century BC, so 800 years before Jesus, and it's part of the collection of books called the Twelve or you might call them the Minor Prophets. Uh, The person Jonah is an historical person. Jesus refers to Jonah in the Gospels and he's actually found in 2 Kings chapter 14 as well. Um, Jonah prophesied during the time of King Jeroboam II and at that time the northern kingdom of Israel, and then it was Judah, there was Israel. Um, Israel were in a spiritually bad place. There was idol worship, there was wrong worship in every area of life. Um, The leaders were oppressing the poor at the same time. And Jonah was in the ministry. He was in the ministry, he was preaching God's word to the leaders, to the people, to the king. And he was calling people to repent and turn back to the Lord. He's a prophet. So that's what a prophet does. He's a preacher. He prophesies, he receives God's word and preaches God's word. But Jonah in this book, although he was a preacher, a prophet... He doesn't want to do the same thing in Nineveh. He doesn't want to preach to the Ninevites at all. Um, So let's have a look at verses 1 to 4. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. God says, go, and Jonah says, no. 
God says go, Jonah says no, this is the first point, he's on the run. But why does Jonah get on a boat that's booked in the opposite direction? Well, the text says, verse 2, the Assyrian city of Nineveh was full of wickedness that had come up before the Lord. And if you want to know how wicked wicked is, uh, well, the book of Nahum is a, is a prophecy against Nineveh. That's the whole book of Nahum. It's a couple of hundred years later, 6th century BC, but Nahum describes how Nineveh had plotted against God they had worshipped idols, they had invaded other nations, enslaving them, they were evil, Nahum says, and they were endlessly cruel. And in Jonah's day, only 40 or so years later, this Assyrian nation, or Nineveh even, would send people out to invade Israel, to enslave them and slaughter them and destroy their people. Nineveh were the worst of the worst. Their wickedness had come up before the Lord, the book says. Jonah had spent his ministry preaching to the Israelites and yet Israel were not listening. They were stubborn, they were hard-hearted, yet they were God's people. They were God's people, God's holy people, special people, set-apart people. But Israel had not turned to the Lord, they had continued in their sin. But in Jonah's mind... He knew what was going to happen when he went to Nineveh. He knew what God was like. He knew that these wicked people were going to repent. He gives that away later in chapter 4. You see, Jonah, in his heart of hearts, wanted Israel to repent. He didn't want Nineveh to repent. God wanted his own people to return to to the Lord, not the evil people who are about to invade their land. You know, we're often afraid of being rejected when we speak about Jesus, or at least sneered at, or we find evangelism difficult, uh, because we might be afraid we we might get laughed at or thought poorly of. Jonah wasn't like that. Jonah was the opposite of that. Jonah was afraid that in his evangelism, people would listen to him. He knew that God was sending him to Nineveh so that God might show mercy to people who are doing some really terrible things. And it kind of reveals a prejudice in Jonah's heart uh, towards the Gentiles, the non-Jews. You see, Jonah had forgotten that Israel were meant to be a light to the nations. So God says, go, and Jonah says, no. I don't want to go that way, I want to go the other way. So he books the spirit of Tasmania to Melbourne instead of the icebreaker to Macquarie uh, Island. He goes, he flees, he, uh, he runs. Verse, um, verse 3 says that he flees from the Lord. The words of Psalm uh, 139 verse 7 should have been in his mind. It says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Jonah knew that. But he went on the boat anyway. He could have taken a spaceship to the moon. God was still there. He would have still been there. So he goes to Tarshish or he goes towards Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So what about us? How do we respond when God speaks to us? How do we respond? That's that's what we need to learn here. What's our response to the word of the Lord? You know, sometimes we agonise over what God's will for our lives is. 
Uh, we can think about God's will as something we've got to figure out um, to discover through a series maybe of tests or um, we try and figure out God's will in some other way through, as, as, as if it's a secret code we need to crack to unlock a pathway for us. But God doesn't work, God doesn't act like that. He tells us exactly what we need to hear. He tells us exactly what we need to hear. God spoke to Jonah and said, go. But, you know, Jonah didn't have to agonise over that decision, uh, whether or not to go on that mission trip. God told him to go, and God clearly speaks to us today through his word. He tells us his word, it's clear. God tells us what we need to hear. You know, yes, there are more things that we might figure out with wisdom and stuff, but God wants, what God wants us to know is written here for us. It's not a secret. We have God's word to lead and guide us. The choice is, the choice that faced Jonah and the choice that faced us is will we actually listen to the word? You see? God speaks. Will we listen? Like Jonah, we have a choice. When the word of God comes to us, will we heed the word of the Lord? When God says, you shall not commit adultery, will we listen? Or when he says, you've got to love your neighbour or even love your enemy, will we listen? When God says, do not repay evil with evil, but with blessing, 1 Peter or 2 Peter, do we listen? We have a choice when the word comes to us to heed it or not. Do we do a Jonah? Do we think our plans are better than God's plans, our ways better than God's ways? Are our ideas over our future, um, do they trump God's voice? Our ideas for our career or fun or however we use our time, are our ideas more important to us than God's word? And it can seem so very easy not to listen to God. Uh, We can rationalise this, whether it's uh, I'm just helping someone out or um, maybe the thing, or maybe every all the events are just lining up for us. Uh, maybe it just it just definitely lined up for Jonah. The book, the boat was so easy to book. Um, there were no dramas getting a ticket. He paid the fare and just got on the boat. It was all smooth sailing out of the harbour. But as Hebrews two verse one says, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. Jonah was literally drifting. <laughs> he was drifting. Do we, do we listen to the voice of God? Do we listen to God's will? Do we heed God's word? But as Jonah finds out, and we will find out if we don't listen, you can't run from God. You can't run. God has more ways to get to us than we have in running from him. I was on the East Coast, I think it was last Tuesday. Was it Tuesday? Um, And there was this big windstorm, much like today, but I think it was worse last week. And it caused all these, or flared all these bushfires. And um, I was near Scamander and I drove through the road. There was a fire there, but when I turned around to come back the other way, the road was blocked. And um, firefighters told me to go, you know, some 50 kilometre round trip through the bush in the middle of the night and um, to get around the fire. It was a huge storm. There were limbs and trees all over the place flying everywhere. 
I made it back alive, so thank, thankfully. Um, you know, we know things about storms, don't we? We have cyclones, part of the Australia, cyclone Tracy, part of the Australian psyche. Cyclones. When Jonah sailed out of the port of Joppa toward Tarshish, they head out to open water and there's this huge, a huge storm. The text is saying this is a very, very big storm. It's very big. Uh, verse 4, it says... Then the Lord sent a, a great wind on the sea. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. They threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Uh, this is a very, very big storm, a tempest. Uh, and the boat is about to sink. And we meet this, uh, this crew on, of the ship, don't we? The sailors. Uh, and they've seen a thing or two, no doubt but nothing like this. They are terrified. They are absolutely terrified here, and rightly, rightly so. This is a storm of God's judgment on Jonah. It's Cyclone Jonah, um, designed to wake Jonah up to what he's done, and it's threatening them all. So what do these sailors do? Well, they're, they're idol worshippers, aren't they? They're pagan idol worshippers. What do they do? They cry out to their gods. They cry out to their gods. But the storm keeps raging. You see? Where is Jonah in all this? Verse 6. Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. I think Jonah's given up. Um, I don't think he cares if he dies. So God has told him, verse 2, to arise and go to Nineveh. And now there's a, there's a repetition in the text here. The captain is telling him exactly the same thing in the same words. Arise, go, call out. You know, God sent this captain down into the boat to call Jonah to be awake. God has sent this storm. Jonah has lost his spiritual moorings. He's asleep to the Lord. And it's a striking picture, I think, of what sin does to us in our hearts. Sin uh, deadens our hearts. That's what it does. It makes us sleepy. It deafens us to the Word of God. But God wakes him up. So, verse 7, uh, the sailors cast lots. They, they cast lots. Maybe, maybe you could think of throwing the dice, kids. And Jonah is the guy. Jonah's it. You see, God is in charge in every possible way here. He causes these lots to fall on Jonah. Now, we've got we to remember that we're not endorsing this kind of um, decision-making. We're not throwing lots now to figure out our lives. But um, it's pretty much what you expect of um, these sailors in this moment, I think. And at the same time, God uses events and providences to wake us up to Him. God is the God over all things. All things are in His control. He's, they're used by Him for His purposes, even storms and casting lots. And this is a pretty big, um, pretty clearly a storm destined for Jonah. God is sending the weather towards Jonah. And so uh, God, I mean, Jonah admits it, verse 9. He, he answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running from the Lord. B 
because he'd already told them so. The God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. You know, do we act sometimes as if God isn't the God of heaven? Do we do things as though God somehow isn't knowing what we're doing? Do we worry about things, on the other hand, as if God doesn't see what we do and who we are? Do we act as though God isn't over all things? I know we forget this. I know I do. But as Jonah is reminded here, God is in charge of everything. He's in charge of our lives. Everything that's happening to us now and in the future, whether the sun is shining or the storm clouds are brewing, he's Lord over everything. He's Lord over our lives. He's Lord over the people you care about. He's Lord over everyone. Jesus says, Matthew 28, he, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. How much is all authority in heaven and on earth? Well, that's, that's all authority in heaven and earth, isn't it? Jesus is in control over all things. And this means he's the God not only of Christians, but of people who aren't Christians. He's God over everything. He's the Lord of heaven and earth, the sea and the dry land. He's God over your friend. He's God over your neighbour. He's God over your mate from work. And at the end of the end of the day, there's only one God. One God who made the sea and the dry land. And that God is not me, and it's not you. And so we're all accountable to this God, the one who's made all things, to whom we owe our life and breath and everything. In the New Testament book of Mark, chapter 4, uh, we see this sec- section of Jonah echoed in the life of Jesus. Um, it's mirrored in the life of Jesus. The, the, the disciples are out in a boat with Jesus. Um, they're out in the Sea of Galilee. They're out there and a huge storm erupts. A violent wind comes up. The, the waves are crashing into the boat and they're threatening and it's threatening their lives. There's a storm in the boat. They see here the echo there, the storm in the boat. And where is Jesus? He's asleep. He's asleep in the boat. It's ringing a bell. But unlike Jonah, Jesus isn't sleeping because he's given up and He's not running from God. He's not asleep to the voice of God. Unlike Jonah, Jesus is asleep in the boat, yet he is perfectly at peace. He's perfectly trusting in his Father in heaven, in the midst of a storm. Jesus isn't on the run from the God of heaven. He's in perfect relationship with his Father. He's listening to the voice of God. He's doing God's will. And when Jesus gets up and speaks, the wind grows calm. Mark 4, 41 says, They were terrified, that is, the disciples, they were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus is the God of heaven. That's what Mark says there. Jesus is that, is the the one God of heaven and earth. He's the king, the one who just calms the storms. He's the God who made the seas and the dry land and has power over them and over us. So we can't run from Jesus. We can't run from him. We may try. We can't run. Rather, we need to trust in him and run towards him. So from verse 11, we find that repentance is the way back to God. Repentance is the way back to God from verse 11. Rather than running away, we should turn to 
Jesus and run to him. Verse 11, the, the, uh, the ocean waves are pounding down still and the sea is getting rougher and rougher. And the sailors ask, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, Jonah replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Uh, they're, they're quite noble sailors. They don't want Jonah to die. Uh, but the storm is growing worse. This is it. This is it. And through the storm, through this most reluctant of evangelists, God reveals who he is to these idol-worshipping pagan sailors. And they turn from their false gods to the Lord. Verse 14 says, Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. They stopped calling out to their gods as they had been doing and then they, they call out to the God of heaven and earth, the Lord, L-O-R-D, capital letters there, they're calling out to the God of heaven, the true God and they beg the Lord not to bring destruction on them. Let us not perish, they pray. They'd come to the end of things, you see, when all hope seems lost when sin had really led to the end of their lives. It's right on the point of disaster, at the end. It's right then that they turn to God, right at the end. You see, God uses a storm to wake up not only Jonah to his state before God, but also these sailors. You see, God uses this storm to show them that he is the God of heaven who made the sea and, and the land, that he alone is to be worshipped. It's a picture of repentance here. It's a, it's a wonderful description of what true repentance looks like. Because so often we just love our sin, I think. It feels good for a time. We fool ourselves to think that it doesn't really matter or it doesn't hurt anybody. Uh, we can cherish our sins. We can excuse our sins. And sometimes we don't really want sin gone. We love it too much. That is until God brings us to a point where we know our sin's going to destroy us. It's often, it often takes God sending a storm to wake us up, to bring us to repent of that sin. Repentance, uh, what is it? It means turning from our idols, if you like, in the words of this story. It means turning from our idols to turning to the true God. Repentance means forsaking what we've been trusting in instead of God. Um, it could be in any number of idols in our lives. The things that we, we hold on to to give us pleasure in life, security for the future, happiness, success in life, rather than seeing that God is the Lord of heaven and earth. It's trusting in things instead of in the God over all things. And repentance means calling on God. It means stop, stop calling and trusting in those things we put our hope in and instead turning to the Lord. It's saying to God, this is my sin, this is my idol, I own it, it's against you, I'm sorry, 
please forgive me. Repentance is the way we start the Christian life and it's the way we continue daily our Christian lives. We turn from sin to God, that's repentance. And Jonah makes it very clear that God doesn't want us to stay in our sins. He doesn't want us in that place. He will not allow us to continue on indefinitely in our sins. He loves us too much for that. He wants us to experience His blessing and sometimes He will take us to the very precipice, the very precipice before we wake up to Him and His love for us. Sometimes it takes a storm in our lives before we see our need of God and His grace. So, please do confess your sins to God. Please do that. Ask God, turn to God and ask Him for help to resist temptations. And when you do that, you'll find Him gracious. You'll find He's the God of grace. You'll find that He's a God of love and a God who forgives us. He's more forgiving than we can imagine and more kind than we can ever hope for. And so, these, these sailors, they... They go from, it's a remarkable change, isn't it? These, they go from worshipping idols to faith in God through this storm. And they throw Jonah into the sea and the, the raging sea grows calm. So how do they respond? Verse 16, well, they fear God, it says. They fear God. They make a sacrifice and they make vows to him. It's acceptable worship. They're truly worshipping God here. And so this, uh, this final section of chapter 1 really is a great picture of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Uh, you know, we, we, we need to realise that sin is deserving of judgment. This is a storm of judgment against Jonah. Sin deserves that. There must be payment and justice for our wrongs. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. This is a picture of God's judgment against us because of our sin. And like the sailors, we might try and row against it and row out of it. We might try and escape. But the only way out is by trusting in the one who goes overboard into the, into the tempest for us. We must trust in Jesus, who unlike Jonah is the innocent one who died for us. Jesus didn't say no to God. He didn't run from God's call. Instead, Jesus heeded God's word. He, he went and he faced the storm for us at the cross. And he was the innocent one who died so that we might experience peace, peace with God. And so that, like these sailors, we might respond in worship. So have we trusted this, this man now, we, we might run from God in all sorts of ways in our lives. But, but praise God that he is a God who pursues us. He goes after us. Praise God that he sent Jesus to appease God's wrath against our sin and thank God that he is beyond merciful, loving and compassionate. So run to him.